0: Uh, if you brought your own Bible today uh, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 21 once again uh, you can use one of the uh, few Bibles your... Revelation 21, last book of the Bible of course second and last chapter I want to I begin by reading the first uh, first eight verses then I saw a new heaven and a new earth Looked at the same passage last week, and and I wanted I took some time last week to to um, uh, set the context and and for this reason, I wanted you to see you know we we laid out the case last week but it, but you can see it I'm not going to refer back to these uh, you know look at it again, but I wanted you to see clearly that Revelation 21 and 22 these last two chapters of the New Testament are Describe the eternal future. Uh, describe the forever future. Describe what's coming after everything else that the Bible tells us is, is coming. Uh, so, in other words, it's coming. What we're reading about here in these two chapters uh, comes after the return of Christ to the earth. That's Revelation 19. You know, that's already happened. So, whatever we're reading here, you know, it's after Christ has returned to the to the earth. That's Revelation 19. It's after the millennial kingdom. You know, it's a, the millennial kingdom is is uh, described in the first half of of chapter twenty. So it's after that. You know, the thousand year reign of Christ on the earth. It comes after what comes out. You know, in that uh, latter part of that chapter, chapter twenty, the great white throne judgment, which is the permanent confining of Satan and all who belong to him, whether angelic or human, in this in this lake of fire that never burns out and so i i, I and i wanted to, you to say this and i'll rip i want to say this too uh, before we kind of dive into the passage itself and, and the, at least a part of it we want to look at it today I, I wanted you to see that one of you know because we have the lake of fire you know this great white throne judgment revelation chapter 20 and then 21 and 22 what comes after that what's what's the forever future Um uh, I wanted you to see that at least one of the purposes of of this uh, great white throne judgment and the confining of evil is to make possible what's going to happen in the forever future. It it, kind of can't happen without it. The new heavens and new earth is a place where there is no sin, there's no oppression. There's no injustice. There's no sickness of any kind. There's, there's you know physical or mental. Uh, there, there's cooperative among men. You know there's society. There's cooperative work and worship and play. In other words, it's functioning society. There are families and there's order and everything works as it should. And none of that can happen if there are sinful people involved uh, something has to happen with with uh, with sin has to be removed so uh, this and so wh- who's left and so there there are uh, there's this confining of evil uh, you know why can this happen why, you know it wouldn't happen for long you know this wouldn't have this perfect environment if there's if there's one sinful person involved because it, it's gonna it'll it'll ruin it right and, and and sin metastasizes and it and it infects the whole and it you know ruins everything. So so evil has to be confined somehow. And then what about those who are left? Well, those who the citizens of that kingdom, those who are living this life that's described in Revelation twenty-one and twenty-two. They not only have to be forgiven from uh, forgiven their sins. It's not enough to forgive their sins. They have to be made entirely free from sin. You know, they, uh, not only justified but sanctified entirely. You know, to take you know to use the uh, the New Testament words. Not just forgiven, made holy, made righteous so this so the but what I want you to see is you know before we go on is you know that lake of fire you know because you can see in the arrangement of how it it has to be where it is uh, it's the it's not only for punishment in other words it's not only for punishment but it's for the confinement and the isolation of evil it's just like prisons you know like we have prisons now today why do we have prisons well we 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 could say it's for the punishment of evil, you know, it's for the punishment of uh, of wickedness. And that's, it, it seems like we want to, when, when we talk about prisons in our day, we want to get away from that concept. You know, we don't say penitentiary, we say correctional facility or something like that. But, you know, so partly for punishment, maybe, but really, it's for the protection of everyone else, right? But what do we say? We get them off the streets, right? At least we got, you know, we got somebody off the streets. Well, listen, what goes for the streets of asphalt goes for the streets of gold too. You know, it has to be protected from for for these things to happen. That uh, it has to be I, I, evil has to be isolated, and people are committed to evil, given to evil. You know, said no to Christ, no to redemption. They don't want any of that. There's a, this confinement of evil, and the re, and for the rest, there are they are made. Uh, Made holy, it has to be. You know, our, our uh, second president, John Adams, he famously said this, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate for the, to the government or for the government of any other. Well, today, what, why is society breaking down in so many ways? Well, because we're not, if he's right, it's because we're not moral and religious. We're immoral and irreligious. So it, it, it breaks down. The Constitution, you know, is not enough to, you know, to establish a just and righteous society. So what do we do? So what do we do? How about passing more laws? We need more laws. Well, that's what we do. But, you know, if you if you've studied the New Testament at all, you know this concept, particularly as expounded by Paul, right? Laws, even the law of God. Can't make evil people good, right? Laws don't make bad people good; they just expose the badness of bad people. So the, the law doesn't really help you obey God. The law lets you know I fall short. Lets us all know I can't do it. I'm I'm culpable before God. So, but this that and by the way, that concept right there—that just laws. Making a rule about something can't make bad people good. That that ought to be enough to, to to tamp down our tendency to put our hope in politics, right? Lawmakers make laws. That's all they can do. Laws can't make people righteous. So you know, trust in politics. I mean, we probably should you know trust a lot less in politics and pray more for the return of Jesus. Because he alone, you know, it, Messiah, we talked about this last week. How are you going to have this kind of world, this kind of society that that the kingdom of God is? And as it's described in Old Testament and New, Messiah has to come. Messiah has to come. People have to be changed. Evil has to be confined. So I, so I just wanted to say before we, you know, kind of go further, just to reemphasize this because it seems so important this doctrine of final and ultimate justice, or in you know, common parlance, the doctrine of hell, say, it, it is part of the Bible's answer to the problem of evil. I mean, why you know how can God be good and allow such evil in the world? That, that's the problem of evil. How can that be? And part of the Bible's answer, is that and a you know the ultimate answer is that God won't let it go on like this forever. This is not the way it's going to be forever. God is going to confine. He's going to set it up the way things ought to be. He's going to correct all the wrongs. He's you know the Lord's coming back. Jesus coming back. He's going to establish His kingdom. Things are going to be right. But evil has to be confined. Evil evil can't evil people can't have one thing to do with it. That's the lake of fire and evil can't have anything to do with you know the citizens of the kingdom either. You have to be sanctified entirely. You have to be like Christ in your character. It won't. It won't work for sinners. <laughs> you know you, uh, you know sinners cannot live in a perfect environment and it remain this perfect and just and right society so i set out last week to trace three themes through this passage revelation 21 and the first was justice that what's coming is justice prevails it's going to be a just society and it's going to be there's going to be it's going to be right wrongs are going to be set right And, you know, that's what we took the whole time last week about, and I've kind of reviewed it just in a few minutes here now, too. It's going to be just. The second theme that I'd like us to think through, and we're just going to begin today, we'll finish this theme, I I, I hope, next week. I'm I'm calling renewal. Now, I think in the passage is stated most succinctly in in 21.5, where where the Lord says, Behold, I am making all things new. Uh, before I settled on the word renewal, thinking through writing this sermon, you know, preparing to teach here, I, I tried some others that just didn't get it right. You know, they did, I, I tried. First, I was, I was uh, <coughs> thinking of the word recovery, recovery. And and the reason I was you know on recovery for a while, uh, because in the new heavens and new earth, Christ gives us back everything. Or those who are there, Christ gives us back everything that sin and death took away. If you came to Hank Colbert's funeral uh, last Sunday, you heard this theme over and over. Uh, and, and by the way, thank you. If you came to that, if you were able to come to that, and you came, thank you for doing that. It ministers the family. I. You know, people who live to be 99 years old don't have well-attended funerals, you know. <laughs> why? Because everybody that would come, they're already gone, you know. but uh, And some in Hank's family thought that uh, they didn't think anybody would come because of that. They didn't think anybody at all would come. And uh, and that's why they flip-flopped. The, uh, they put the visitation uh, afterwards because they thought nobody would be here. So we'll have the service, but it would just be the, the family members, the three rows we had here. So So once again... Uh, thank you if you came. It really administers the family, and and uh, you know you came through strong as a church. Once again, I was proud of you. Uh, but if you were here, you heard me use Luke seven again. It's one of my favorite passages to use at the funeral of a believer. Luke chapter seven is the story of the widow of Nain, and uh, you know this this widow in the Gospels, Luke chapter seven. She's on the way to the graveyard there's this great company of people and her only son there her only means of support was the you know was the young man who had died and it says that and Jesus is coming and there's a big crowd following him so you have these two crowds coming together and they meet and what happens when this procession of death meets the Lord of life you know and, the, and so Jesus they stop and it says that Jesus had compassion on her this is what I like this is why I like to use it at the funeral of a believer. Uh, Jesus had compassion on the mother. It says he had compassion on her, and out of his compassion for her, the one left behind, Jesus commanded the dead man to rise. He said, young man, I say to you, arise. You remember that, Luke chapter 7? And it says, and here's what it says, and he gave him back to his mother. Uh, I love that. I love that. In Christ, we get our dead back again. Um, I almost always say this. I almost always, I don't know if I've ever conducted the funeral of a believer and not said this, but I always say, uh, or often say, in Christ, our goodbyes are not forever. They're just for now. Uh, You know, the hand we once held will hold again. The the voice we miss already will hear again. Uh, so recovery you know recovery but when we think of the new heavens and new earth that word recovery is just not strong enough why well okay mary and martha recovered their brother lazarus when jesus commanded lazarus to come out of the tomb right they recovered him but that's what they did. They recovered him just as he was before he got sick. Eventually, he got sick again, I suppose. And whether he got sick or not, he died, right? And the, so did Jairus' daughter, who Jesus rose from the dead, and so did this young man, you know, so did this man, the, you know, the, the only means of support of his mother. He died. So what was happen- What happened in that resurrection? That it was only a restor- it was only a uh, recovery of what it was beforehand. It was only a picture of the resurrection that's coming. It's just an illustration of it, but it really wasn't like the resurrection that is coming, because they were still, when they were raised up, they're still subject to the uh, to sin and death. They're still subject to sin and its wages. The wages of sin is death, but renewal. And by the way, I tried restoration. I tried that a good, you know, for a day or so. Ah, it's still not strong enough. Well, it's more than restored. Renewal, however, works because in the forever resurrection, the bodies that we have for all eternity are far better than the ones we ever had. Right? Renewal. made You know, something that hints at something stronger than just getting back. Recovery. Restoration. Renewal in a way that it's better than it ever was. Better than... And I'm just thinking of our physical body. Better than it was at 15 years old. Better than it was at 20. Better than it was at 25 or 30 or whatever you look at is, I was at my peak. <laughs> Verses 4 and 5. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. "...neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away." And he who was seated on the throne said, "...behold, I am making all things new." Also he said, "...write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true." Well, let's think about this, because we don't think about this enough. And just kind of let ourselves think about it for a few minutes. The bodies we will have for all eternity will not know pain. That's an improvement, isn't it? Thank you. I mean, and you know what? This would this is appreciated better by some of you. Some of you I know. Some of you I know would appreciate this better because you live with chronic pain all the time. There's kind of a backdrop of pain. And, and it seems like pain for no apparent purpose right it's not like the pain you can see the usefulness of pain that tells you to take your hand off the hot stove you say well that's a useful pain but sometimes it seems it just doesn't seem to serve any purpose at all just no apparent purpose no apparent remedy you you familiar with a a fellow named jordan peterson do you who has heard of jordan peterson we've got a few a few not very many well He's uh, he's rocketed to fame and notoriety uh, in the last few years. You know, this would be this would be someone who's had uh, uh, millions of people see his YouTube videos and see snippets of speeches and things like that. He's uh, uh, he's rocketed to fame and and notoriety. I I should add, mostly because of his refuse from his refusal. He's a he's a college professor uh, in Canada, clinical psychologist. His refusal, <coughs> excuse me, to use new made-up pronouns for certain people—you know, not him, not her, Zim or something—you know—he refuses to do that, which he regards as an assault on free speech, worse than censorship. He said, "This is worse than." And Canada, it's more—it's more heavy-handed than the United States, really. You can actually get in legal trouble, you know, but uh, there. But he says this is a worst assault on free speech. It's far worse than censorship because censorship is just the government telling you what you can't say. This is compelled speech. This is the government telling you what you must say. So he won't do it. So that's why he's got, gotten so uh, you know, famous. But in the wake of that fame and notoriety, he's written a best-selling book titled Twelve Rules for Life, An Antidote for Chaos. Now, he does not speak from a Christian perspective. But sometimes he says something or he writes something that makes you and I think he's so close to the kingdom. <laughs> you know, just connect the next dot, please. Connect the next dot and you'll and you'll be there. He's not a believer, he's not a Christian, but sometimes you think, Oh, he's he's set up oh he needs to hear the he needs to hear the gospel. But he he maintains that suffering that pain and suffering is the unarguable constant of human life. So much so, it's his definition. He says, life is suffering. That's what it is. He, and and when you, if you know something about him, uh, for one thing, he's the father of, a, a, I think, probably an adult child now, Uh, of a child that has uh, suffers with um, rheumatoid arthritis you know juvenile rheumatoid arthritis awful awful pain had to have surgery you know just hip replacements and knee you know all kinds of bone replacements at a young age you know just suffering 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 he's also a clinical psychologist who treats patients so he knows the you know the inner suffering that people suffer Well, he says human life is suffering. Well, here's here's what we want someone to tell Dr. Peterson. The Bible says, the Bible teaches, particularly in this teaching on the new heavens and new earth, that suffering is not intrinsic to human life. That the curse of universal suffering and pain and death came on us when we as a race chose to turn away from God but it's not always going to be like that it's that's not going to be no life is not suffering it is here it is now but that's not that's not what's coming forever it's just for now it, and christmas time i you know i always go i return to this theme in the week after Christmas, every single year, because of this thing, because we we beg for it at Christmas, here's what we sing. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. Yes, now in this fallen world under the blanket of sin and death that covers everything, covers everyone. Yes, man, as the Bible also says, in this life, Man is born for trouble as sparks fly upward. That's what happens. But it's not always going to be like that. And why? Because the bodies, the bodies of all who are in Christ will be such that they will not suffer pain anymore for all eternity. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah, he, he looks forward to the coming age and he says, no resident. This is 33:24, uh, Isaiah 33:24. No resident will say, "I am sick." No resident will say, "I am sick." English Standard Version says "inhabitant," but at Greenfield Senior Living, when we were when I was teaching a Bible study there, it's an assisted living place. I I like to use the New American Standard because it says "resident." Why do I like to use "resident"? Because that's how they refer. They thought of themselves as residents, and believe me. There's not a day at Greenfield Assisted Living when no resident says, I am sick. There's sick people there all the time. But it's not always going to be that way. Every single one of us is susceptible to illness and disease now. And I hate to tell you this. I hate to just be a wet blanket here, but it doesn't matter what you eat. It doesn't matter what you don't eat. doesn't matter what you drink or what you don't drink or what supplements you take or anything else. It's a losing battle, isn't it? But listen, God is going to transform the body of our lowly state, to, to use New Testament language, so that you, you'll never get sick, never have a disease. Renewal, renewal. Better, made new, yes, but better than it ever was. Back to our Christmas time prophet again, Isaiah. In that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see, better than it ever was isaiah thirty five then the eyes of the blind shall be open, the ears of the deaf unstopped, and the lame sh- the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute shot for joy. I, I I've mentioned this before, maybe even recently, so forgive me, but when I but this is the illustration I think of I played basketball when I was younger. Can't really do it anymore, but when my abilities were at their peak, I couldn't leap like a deer. <laughs> I could never dunk a basketball on a regulation rim ten feet up. The best I could ever do is three fingers on the rim, but not enough to grab the rim. Every once in a while in my college and, uh, or high school days, college days, a group of us vertically challenged guys from Oak Ridge, you know, here in, here in town, we would go up to Linden Elementary School. I think it's that way. Linden Elementary School, and they had they had outdoor basketball courts, and they had a, a 10 foot they had a court with a 10 foot rim, and they had a court with a 9 foot rim, and they had a court with an 8 foot rim outside, and we would put nets on the goals, and we would play on we would play on the 8 foot rims. And it was dunktastic, you know. It was all like we were getting all kinds of air and we were jamming the ball this way and that. and we it was fantastic for a while. It was a fantasy, right? We didn't know that we were expressing a divinely planted hope for the time when we will be able to leap like a deer <laughs> because our bodies will be better than they ever than they ever were. I, I, I don't think we can fully grasp what it will be like to live in bodies that are entirely untouched by the effects of sin, Inc- including brains that are, that are unaffected by sin. But there's coming a time, we won't have to imagine it, we'll be living it. What would you like to do? And that's why I want to, you know, just, just if you don't ever do it, if you don't ever do it, that's why I want to take, you know, these 10 minutes here to think about it, to think about it. You know, increase our hope, increase our faith. Uh, What would you like to do that your body won't let you do now? Uh, What skills would you like to develop? No, just for, what musical instrument would you like to master if, it, if that's what you... I just think about that. What, uh, what mountain would you like to climb? What trail would you like to hike? What would you like to learn? What would you like to study and learn if you had a brain that was unaffected by sin? Uh, you know, I'm getting a little ahead of myself because my third theme, you know, I'm going justice, renewal, and fellowship... But just to get it just to borrow a little bit, what will fellowship with God be like? What will communion and fellowship with God be like when there's a, there's no fight with indwelling sin going on inside here? when there's no um, resistance from the fallen flesh, no resistance at all from your flesh. And time, you know, to take to take another step. Time will no longer be a limiting factor. Why? Because there's no death. There's no death. There's no there's no mourning, M O U R N I, no grieving, because there's no death. The last many the last enemy will have been defeated. And the way it is now, of course you know this. Our bodies come with an expiration date. Thankfully, most of the time we don't know what it is but we know that our time is limited don't we we know this and we live with this kind of this specter of Im- of impending death all the time and it's always there it's in the back of our minds we know we will die we know everyone else will too and most people just try not to think about it or just tell yourself it's going to be a long it's a long well that's a long way off you know, I know that's a long way but we have no way of knowing it's a long way off it might not be a long way off and the Bible says, we, we read this verse today, that we should be mindful of it that, that, uh, so we don't waste our time. Uh, teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. But in our, in our knowing that, we're not fatalistic, or we shouldn't be. We're not morose, or we shouldn't be. We don't despair. Why? Because we know there's coming a time when we will not be limited to 70 years, or 80 years, or 100 years, or 1,000 years. Because in the age to come, our bodies will not die, and nor will anyone else in our families or among our friends. Now, we're not finished with this theme of renewal, I, you know, I wanted to take one time, just think about renewal of our bodies, but we're not finished because what is, uh, what's that verse five say? Behold, I am making all things new, not just our bodies, but this is a good breaking point. So let, let me just leave you with a, with a, a couple of so whats you know, or I, so what? Let me and and please don't tune tune me out here, but but learn something. Try not to tune me out when I say this, when I say what I'm going to say. But Christians have a historical weakness for Gnosticism. Uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians, for example, is really a, a a polemic against early Gnosticism. And Gnosticism has two features. This is just my opinion, but. It has two features that Christians find seductive. The second one has to do with what we're talking about now. But one of them is the temptation to divide the church into two classes of people, the ones that uh, you've got the really special people that God reveals secrets to, and they're really in tune with God, and they have secret knowledge, and then you have the ordinaries, everybody else. And over the years, you know, the, the, over the centuries, we've had this, there's people that have, a t- it's very seductive to people to think of themselves as I'm the one who really is in tune with God, and you know, you got other people. They're Christians, but they're they're lesser. They're, they don't know like I know. Uh, uh, one of these one of these fellows called the church one time, for example. there's one manifestation, he called the church like he's looking for a church, and he said, "Do y'all have the Holy Spirit? Y'all have the Holy Spirit? Is that you're, you're kind of you have a church that has the Holy Spirit?" And we well, listen, there are not two classes of Christians. You know, a class that has the Holy Spirit and a class that doesn't have the Holy Spirit. Uh, for by one Spirit we're all baptized into one body. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian. You don't belong to Christ. Yeah, you know, there's there's not two classes. But that but that's one thing. The other kind of thing that's very seductive about Gnosticism that the other feature of it is the stubborn idea that everything spiritual is good and everything physical or material is bad or at least inferior. That it's it's the spiritual is where it's at. In non-materials where it's at, you know. Not the, not the body, not physical. Physical is bad. We should not even pay attention to it. It's nothing. Our hope it has nothing to do with our bodies or nothing to do with anything physical. That second feature of Gnosticism, that part of it, is absolutely contradictory to what the Bible teaches about the resurrection of believers and their life in the new heavens and the new earth. It's absolutely contradictory to it. The Bible teaches that a human being, not just a Christian, but any human being, is a, both a physical and a spiritual being. God made Adam out of the dust of the earth, right? Right? physical component he breathed into him god breathed into him Uh, the breath of life spiritual element we are both a physical and spiritual being and both aspects are important they're integral to who you are and what everyone else is too and this teaching this teaching these chapters it, it shows us that christ came to save the whole man Uh, The promise of salvation will not be complete until it extends to our bodies. That's the completion of our salvation, is resurrection in the new heavens and new earth. Jesus didn't just preach a spiritual message um, for the salvation of souls. He didn't just do that. He also healed the sick. He also fed the thousands. He also raised the dead. And by the way, Christians who follow in their master's example in ministry they need to minister to both the physical and the spiritual needs of people who need the lord i mean, think about and and isolating just one or the other is just it doesn't work very well i think of our our dear friends the porters in nigeria is a dentist he's a dentist you know been there 20 some years um well just say he just say he went over there and did dental work and didn't and didn't tell anybody about the lord he just did the, he just did the did the good deeds would any would that have any impact for the gospel no no, no. what if he just went what if we just went over there and they just he just he just had the message but he didn't do anything for anybody they didn't he didn't do the dental work they didn't have the widow's uh, uh grain thing they didn't do would that work very well no, not, no probably not right it's 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 both it's both and isn't it so you got you know, it's the, it's the, it's ministering to the physical needs, it's ministering to the uh, spiritual needs. But you have, you do have to, you, you can't just do the good deeds either. There's that famous quote, St. Francis of Assisi, if it's, I don't even know if it's true, but it's, but you've heard this, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words, right? You ever heard that? Preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. You ever heard that? It's nonsense. it's it's always necessary to use words. (laughs) The gospel is a message. So, you know, you can't just reduce it to doing good things for people, being a nice person. It's the good deeds that God has prepared for us and telling people the gospel. And when you do, and and I'll end with this. I'm, I'm over, I'm sorry. But when you the gospel the message of your salvation our salvation through by grace through faith don't keep this in mind here what Revelation 21 don't hold back on what the promise of the gospel is if you share the gospel and leave people thinking that the only that the payoff of the gospel is only a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and you don't tell them what that means or what's going to be the outcome of that, you're not telling them the half of it. If you share the gospel and you leave people thinking that you're only talking about how to get to heaven when you die, to live there eternally, and they might be thinking as a some sort of wisp of disembodied bliss forever, you're selling our true forever future short. Uh, the true and Christian hope is so much better, so much fuller, than so much more promising and so much more satisfying than most Christians dare talk about. As it's really described for us, it's an audacious hope. It's, it's the overcoming of death itself it's everlasting enjoyment of abundant life it's being engaged eternally in this in a wonderful rhythm of uh, of creative work and rest and worship and recreation and traveling and eating and drinking in multigenerational fellowship in extended families i'm getting that from many will come from east and west recline a table with abraham and isaac and jacob It's receiving back again our dead in Christ. Just like, not just like, better than was when Jesus gave that young man, widow of name, gave him back to his mother. Better than that. Hear their voices again. Enjoy their company again. Our, Our forever future is glorifying God and enjoying him forever, as the Westminster Catechism says. It's enjoying God, uh, it's uh, glorifying God by enjoying Him forever, like John Piper says, they're both true. It's life better than you ever knew it could be, in a body better than you ever had. It's learning and serving and living without the hindrances of sin, without the constant threat of death, that's always lurking, could take it away, take it all away in a, just in a moment. It's, it's life, I borrow language from the New Testament, unworthy of comparison with any suffering you endure now. So, when you get this chance to tell somebody about it, don't hold back. Don't hold back. Tell them what's at stake. Tell them what they can have. Tell them what, this, what they'll be missing if they miss out on Christ. Tell them what they get if they get Him as Savior before they see Him as judge. You know, you know, tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Now let's pray. Lord, thank you for the future that is ours through faith in Christ. Increase the faith of the believing uh, that we might more fully dare to truly embrace the things that have been revealed to us. Lord, give us grace to live with one foot in our forever future so that our present sufferings will actually appear to us to be light and momentary, unworthy of comparison with the glory to be revealed to us. For the joy set before us, give us grace to endure whatever hardships and suffering you assign to us in this life so that some of the joy we will experience then will spill over into our hearts now. Give us greater boldness in sharing the good news of our salvation from sin and death through faith in Christ, our Good Shepherd, our Savior, our Lord. Lord, may our interactions with our fellow man reflect your concern and love for the whole man, body, soul, and spirit. We pray in the powerful and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.